everybody. This is the Big Experience Podcast. Great to be back with everybody today, along with WHIP Senator Martin and WIP's Tyre Hood. Gentlemen, another crazy week in the sports world. I was going to say interesting, but I didn't think that was the right word to use because we had some crazy NFL free agency moves made by a few teams. And it was pretty interesting. And we'll touch on the Patriots, a couple of big time moves for a few tight ends that they wanted to bring in, uh, handed out a big payday to both of those guys. Uh, so we'll mention them and then also touch on the Embiid injury scare. He's going to be out a couple weeks uh, with a banged up knee. But overall, guys, how are we feeling? How are we doing early on in this uh, this early on in this week? Um, bored. <laughs> it's the best way to describe it. Um, bored. Um, I think we all pretty much expected the Philadelphia Eagles not really to make a, a, a bunch of moves, especially early on, considering, you know, the cap hell that they're in and they're right now. And we'll get into it a little later, how they're restructuring deals and things of that nature to get themselves under the cap. But, you know, other than the Eagles, actually free agency has been very interesting. I will say that. I'm starting to just face the facts, Max. Um, this team isn't going to be a great team uh, this coming season. I got to just wake up and understand that I, I can't, I can't expect the birds to be in the playoffs this season. And I got to be all right with that. T mentioned there was no really splash for the Eagles in free agency. There usually isn't. Um, but other than that, I'm excited that fans are coming back watching Philly sports and um, ready to get this thing rocking and rolling. Yeah, I think we can all agree with that. Excited for the NFL draft. That's what the Eagles fans and us ourselves look forward to at this point, knowing we didn't have any money to spend in free agency was probably one of the main things that we all kind of agree with multiple times on the show was we're not going to go out there and grab you know, a big time name like an Allen Robinson or somebody that we would love to see play in an Eagle uniform. But overall, we saw one thing happen with the Eagles over the weekend and yesterday specifically. Uh, that's Brandon Graham getting a contract restructured. So he'll be here another year in an Eagle uniform, which is pretty cool. Obviously, all time leader in sacks. That's what that's what we know of. And, uh, you know, he's going to continue to pressure the quarterback and try to make plays on this Eagles team that, again, is lacking some talent on the defensive side of the football. Fletcher Cox, again kind of getting up past his prime at this point, still a productive player, um, but not what he probably once was a few years back. And then you also have to look at the the holes in the linebacking core, have to help them out. And so we'll see. We're going to mention uh, a lot about the NFL draft on this show today. So overall, we want to just look at maybe what can the Eagles do uh, as far as maybe not even signing guys, but re restructuring deals. I know Zach Ertz wants out of Philadelphia, guys. So when you look at this team and where it is right now, you have one day to digest the NFL free agency, and we'll touch on that in a minute. Um, think about Eagles not making a move, but also what could they possibly do? If, even if it's not making a move as far as signing a guy, we know that the trade of Ertz is still on the table. We also hear some rumors about the trade of Brandon Brooks on the table. So I feel like something's cooking in the kitchen with Howie Roseman. I just don't know what it is. So how about some opinions on what's happening right now behind closed doors? So, guys, uh, just, to, just to clarify some things, I'm recording this on Tuesday. Um, so technically speaking, free agency starts on Wednesday. So right now is the legal tampering period, even though technically teams have been already been tampering, but we're not going to talk about that right now. Now, Max, you mentioned some of the um, restructures and trades that's been going on. Honestly, in, in my personal opinion, we talked about this. We thought that Malik Jackson was going to be a casualty. Um, he's still on the roster. So um, either that's going to be a restructure or he is going to be a release uh, um, eventually. I'm not 100% sure yet, but as of right now, he's still on the books. Um, Javon Hargrave has not restructured. Um, I 
they are probably in the works of restructuring Fletcher Cox's contract as well. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, in terms of trades, um, I don't think Brandon Brooks is going to be traded. I, I just I just got this, this sick feeling that I, I just don't see a scenario where Brandon Brooks is going to be traded. I, I don't think that they can really move a guy who's coming off an Achilles injury, who has anxiety issues, and is 32, 33 years old, even though he is playing at an all-pro level. So I just don't see that scenario happening. Now, in terms of Zach Ertz, so a lot of people have been saying, and actually me and Tanner was kind of getting into this yesterday. A lot of people are saying, you know, just release Zach Ertz and just, you know, get his money off the books. Look, Zach Ertz still has some value. And I'm sorry. I know Zach Ertz ultimately wants to be released so he can control kind of sort of where he wants to be. Listen, here's the thing. Just communicate with Zach Ertz and kind of see if you can trade him to a destination where, you know, that's pre- that he prefers. Like, for me, I would be highly disappointed if they just outright just release Zach Ertz. I don't care what you get for Zach Ertz. As a matter of fact, the way tight ends have been, mo- have been moving in free agency, and one team in particular that kind of piqued my interest, especially them losing Hunter Henry, is the Los Angeles Chargers. So their team that's out there looking for a tight end. So I just don't see it. I, it doesn't make any sense to me to just outright release Zach Ertz. It doesn't. I would take whatever I can get for him. You know, and at this point, I could take a high draft pick for him, at least a third or fourth round pick, which I think is what the team is um, after. So just be patient. You know, I understand Zach Ertz is frustrated, but at the end of the day, look, it's a business, and I have to make uh, the best decision I can on behalf of the Philadelphia Eagles speaking, you know, as Howie Roseman. So just be patient, and I think Zach Ertz is probably the most likely player to be traded. Probably I wouldn't be surprised within the next week or two. Well, the theme of this offseason for the Eagles is desperation. All right, they've been trying to restructure contracts, um, getting rid of guys. They're trying to make money. They're still in the negatives. Um, and they're just trying as hard as they can to just be able to sign one guy uh, this offseason free agency to improve this team. And for me personally, you have to get as many draft picks. Now, I, I'm not. I'm not so keen on – we have to get a, a better player back. At this point in time, the Eagles are looking more so as a rebuild team. So you need those draft picks um, so you can draft young, talented players. Um, on Zach Ertz, I now, of course, I don't just want a seventh round pick. I'll be sick if the Eagles just get a seventh round pick. That'll be terrible. I want at least a third and above a sixth round pick for Zach Ertz uh, if I'm Howie Roseman. And I think if you get young guys, you stack this team up, you're looking more forward to your future. We have old guys on this team that we're structuring their contracts because they're going to retire as an Eagle in a couple of years. And that's going to hurt the team overall because we can't let go. These guys know how he loves those better guys, loves those guys that were here for the team in the hardest times. And, and he respects those. And I respect those players too, but you got to focus on the future of this team right now. You got to understand they're not winning the NFC East this season. Um, they might, they might be in last place this season. I don't know at the giants, maybe uh, it, it might be a fight between the Eagles and the giants for that, for that third place. But that's where my opinion is right now. This team has a lot to do. And not a lot of time. Yeah, it's a scary thing. At the end there, not a lot of time because, you know, the draft, again, again, almost a month away now, maybe a little bit over. Um, they have a ton of to get to do on their to-do list. You know, they have to figure out what position they want to draft. 
where their team needs to be improved most. I think we finally have the QB controversy thing behind us and Jalen Hurts will be the guy for right now, at least at this point in time. So he's going to lead us forward. The offensive line, I think, is going to be uh, one thing that's going to come back this year and be a strength of ours, usually is. Um, people might not be um, into that right now as far as maybe overlooking it, but I think that's going to be a, a big point of emphasis for this team's that offensive line to be able to protect Hurts. Now, is there other positions on the defense that we need to improve? Of course, of course 100%. I think for me, one thing you have to look at as a playmaker um, on the outside, because right now I look at the depth chart on the wide receiver position. And I think we all talked about this multiple times. Rager, Ward, you have Fulgham, Marquise Goodwin. T has mentioned just still on the roster technically at this point. Um, he's not been released yet. So we need that, that number one guy, you know, we need that playmaking guy, that the guy on the outside, the big body, but athletic, not just a JJ or Sega white side type. So Jamar Chase, I guess at this point, a little bit bigger in size, maybe a little bit more athletic than Devontae Smith, even though Devontae Smith might be a better route runner, a little bit quicker. But overall, I think Jamar Chase, um, when you look at this team and where it is right now, I think he would be a very solid fit. And again, a pick that you probably, you know, can't mess up in the long run. It, yeah, yeah. It, there's a lot of positions of need on this team. And it's, it's, it's a shame. It really is like how, how, the organization has failed to bring in players to replace those aging players. And it's, it's, it's more annoying than anything else because it's, it's something that we advocated and it's something that me personally, I've been very concerned about. And I, I have voiced my opinion on, on a numerous of occasions. As a matter of fact, I, I was, I was going back and I was looking at, you know, the 2016 draft. You know, out of all the players that were drafted in 2016, of course, that being the year Carson Wentz was drafted, there's only one player that we have left on the team that's still playing for the team, and that's Isaac Siamalo. That's an issue. Like, it, this is a really serious issue. 2017, Derek Barnett, like, it, this is the only player that we have from that draft that is still on the team, technically speaking. It, like, it's just, it's infuriating to me how this organization has failed to draft these players at these prominent positions where to help, to help with the team. And it's just, it's, it's annoying. It's frustrating. And, you know, I know we fuss about how there's no way possible. You can mess up this six overall pick, but as history tells, eh, they messed up before. So, I mean, look, we may think it's a slam duck at six, but let's be honest here. This is still a Philadelphia Eagles organization. Like they they could they just know to mess stuff up. They messed up the relationship with Carson Wentz for one. All right, we I think we all in, are in agreement with that. So I, I put nothing past this team, and it's I'm going to have to exercise the most patience I have ever exercised probably going into this season, considering that we don't have the money to spend for free agents. All right, I have to take the benefit of the doubt when it comes to whoever they draft. All right. And then on top of that, I still have to factor in that this is a whole entire new coaching staff. So that means that these players are going to have to get reacclimated with a new scheme, a new a new way of doing things. So, of course, there's going to be growing pains to go along with it. And I agree with Tanner. I'm sorry. Like, we're going to be fighting for that last spot, probably most likely with the Giants. It, I don't see a scenario where we can come out of the NFC least. No, not East, least, because this is still the worst division in football. And it's a shame because technically speaking, 
as horrible as every team is in the NFC East, we should be able to compete as sorry as this division is. But unfortunately, I just don't see a scenario where that, where that happens. I just don't. Yeah, I want to bring back you mentioned how Jerry Lloyd actually said that we're going to go with the Eagles are going to go with Hertz. And that it's not surprising, but it's interesting because you have the owner of the team. You know that this guy runs the show at this point. You saw it last season with Doug Peterson up there looking like a puppet on stage. And you go now, of course, they have a rookie head coach. So, you know, he's not going to be calling the shots. It's Jeffrey Lurie's team. Howie Roseman is there too. But what's interesting to me is, and which is probably going to end up hurting the team, is you say that Jalen Hurts is your guy and then say he doesn't perform well while you're already looking for his replacement. And then there goes your relationship with him. Uh, The Eagles always ruining relationships. You see it now with uh with Zach Ertz and his relationship with the team now this is a guy who probably would have came back for a year if he wasn't on the Eagles team and just retired with the team now I don't know if it's going to be that sweet of a goodbye um of for Zach Ertz but going back to Jalen Hurts I do think that he can compete better with competition unlike um, Carson Wentz, they're different guys. They're, they, they adapt to situations differently, and we saw that clearly uh, last season, how that happened. But Jalen Hurts is a really competitive guy. Not saying Carson Wentz isn't, but they'll handle the situation different. I think Jalen Hurts would perform better if they go ahead and draft a quarterback, say, seventh round, maybe they draft a quarterback. Um, and you have that guy there. You know Jalen Hurts knows that this guy isn't going to take his job, but he knows that if he doesn't perform well, they're going to go out and get another guy, or they're going to work more with this quarterback that they drafted late in the round. That's just my opinion. I think um, things should have been handed handled differently, but going to the draft, I think it really depends on what the Eagles do in free agency to determine who they get at that sixth overall yep. pick because you have a lot of free agent wide receivers, more so the cornerbacks because these cornerbacks are going to cost more money for the Eagles, and that's something that the Eagles don't have right now. So you go into free agency, you see wide receivers like, of course, you see A.J. Green, T.Y. Hilton, and all those guys. Those are just for show for the Eagles. They're, it's not realistic at this point. But you have like Curtis Samuel, Emmanuel Sanders maybe, and guys like that who can have a role on this offense with these wide receivers who have barely even touched the football um, in their career. And then you got Goodwin, of course, as well, which I'm curious to see how he's going to adapt to this team. I think he he could be an interesting uh, part on this team. But then you go to cornerbacks. You have William Jackson, Shaquille Griffin. Um, Xavier Rhodes is just for show, too. I, I feel like that's not realistic yeah. at this point. Um, but yeah, that depends if you go and get free agent wide receiver, I think maybe they could get Patrick Sertain at number six. And, but of course, Max, I know you wouldn't be satisfied at that. Probably when a wide receiver like Jamar chase, or if Smith is reliable, but I think that it'll show which direction the Eagles are going into determining what they do in free agency. Yeah. I think you make a couple of good points there for me. One thing is the Ertz deal. And that is, I don't really want to trade Zach Ertz, especially even for a third or fourth. I feel like he's more valuable to a team than that. You're going to need to surround Hertz with weapons. You guys have both mentioned that. One thing for me, if you look at the depth chart right now on this team, like who is your number one guy? You know what I mean? That's, what's, that's what concerns me. At least on the defensive side of the ball, 
you have a guy that's kind of reliable. At least we thought, but should be more reliable than he, what he showed last year, obviously, with Darius Slay. If you go into this draft and take Emmanuel Sanders, if he's available, or Curtis Samuel, you're not really – you're helping the team, of course, offensively, but you're not filling that, that necessary need because, in a way, Curtis Samuel's not your straight-up burner. He's more of a slot guy. Saw him a few times with Christian McCaffrey hurt last year. He's actually taking carries out of the backfield. So definitely a really solid player. It can be used in multiple ways. I don't know if that solves your problem as far as having a number one route runner on the outside, right? Because you still have an unproven Jalen Rager. You still have a, uh, you, you know, you have an, a decent, I guess is the word to use with Greg Ward. And then you have Fulgham who, who, who knows? I mean, four games, he was solid and then wasn't used slash didn't play well the rest of the year, whatever it's ridiculous. You know, way you want to look at it. So for me, I think you have to go out there and if you can't get, which we all know a top tier wide receiver in that free agency, I don't think I'd be comfortable with signing a Curtis Samuel and then drafting a certain, even though they're two very good players. Don't get me wrong. Curtis Samuel's a very good player. He, he definitely stepped up last year with the Panthers. He showed me a lot. The Panthers had, again, they had a great core with, um, with Robbie Anderson who played very, very well last year, first year under Matt rule there, Robbie Anderson. And then obviously Curtis Samuel, of course, stepped in and, and played with DJ Moore as well, who was a name I was blanking on there for a second. So they had weapons there. So I think Curtis Samuel would be a good addition to a team if the contract isn't too bad. But Sertan, we all know an Alabama product as a cornerback position would solve the other side of the field. And that that just looks so pretty right there when you look at it on paper. Sertan on one side, Slay on the other side. So, of course, um, it would be hard to be angry at that. But the thing for us is that we all can kind of agree on is solving that offensive you know, problem. And if you're going to sit here and tell me, okay, you're going to build around Jalen Hurts, but your number one receiver is going to be Jalen Rager, who didn't really do anything last year, was hurt, was banged up, had a couple flashes but he's your number one weapon, especially if you trade Zach Ertz. I mean, if you trade Zach Ertz, I mean, you're, you're in some serious trouble. Goddard's still reliable, but the thing I like about it is the scheme might change on the next year. County. we know that the two tight end system was big with Doug Peterson. The scheme might change up and the two tight end set might not be as, you know, a big of a point of emphasis for Nick Sirianni. So it might not hurt them long-term if Sirianni is going to make it that far, because who knows with the way he speaks in front of the media, we'll say that. Uh, but again, I think Tanner and I, and even T, Sertan versus Chase or Smith, it kind of all depends on what we do in free agency, who we're able to even get. And I think if you, you – I'm sick and tired of putting a Band-Aid over the defense. I think that's where I'm at with Sertan because even if they didn't – even if they don't take Chase and they take Sertan, that's for me why I can't be mad at the pick because you get a proven guy in there and that's secondary. That's been a problem for us for years and years now. And you know, offensively – you still don't have that weapon. But again, like Tanner said, this isn't going to be something that's going to be solved overnight. It's going to take a long period of time. We're running out of time is the thing because the season and the, the training camp's coming up before we know it. So that's my two cents on it. But I want to give it to T here because I know T has a question that he wants to throw out at us. So here's the thing. Um, I'm, I'm looking at some of these, you know, pass rushers and uh, that's getting signed. Uh, we mentioned Matthew Judon and others are, are being re-signed to these, you know, extreme amounts of money. And I, I think about, Derek Barnett in the current situation he's in like we can all agree that Derek Barnett hasn't exactly performed like a first round like we expect the first round draft pick to perform I think we can all say that however when you compare his stats to some of these guys who's also making money you know and have this and have similar stats Derek Barnett is going to get paid the problem is I don't think one I don't of course the Philadelphia Eagles don't have the money to pay him two I just don't see I don't I don't think he's worth 
in some of these pa- others past other pass rushers as well who don't necessarily have the stats to back it up. I don't think these guys are really worth the money that they're getting. So my question is this: like, why do these teams overpay for these players? Like, I understand that the pass rushing position is a a need. Especially given that, you know, these quarterbacks are coming out there and are more athletic every year. So the defensive ends have to, you know, pretty much adjust and, you know, change their game up according to how they rush the passer as well. But I don't understand. And to this day, this this is not just for football. This is for baseball, basketball, I don't hockey. I don't understand why these mid-level tier players are getting this crazy amount of money. Like they're a top pass rusher and then they're taking a nice bite out of a team's cap situation. I don't understand it. Maybe you guys can help me out with that. Cause I'm, I'm stuck on that. Well, I think for me, Derek Barnett, a guy that we've expected more out of, I guess you could say, I think we can all agree probably expected a little bit more out of overall, but when you look around the league and, and you mentioned T overplaying these overpaying these players, one thing for me is you have to look at what's the biggest needs on a football team, right? If you're going to pay a guy a ton of money, you, you go to the offensive line, right? Because if you get a solid offensive lineman, he's worth the money. He's going to protect your quarterback, a quarterback. If he's the real deal that we think, obviously ours didn't work out here in Philadelphia with the, who we thought was going to be the main guy. But if you, you know, more, more than more often than not, you have a guy that you know is going to be the franchise quarterback signing that big contract and he's going to produce for you. There's te- there's positions on a football team. You don't invest in one's a running back. You don't want to sign a, a, a running back to a huge contract. We've seen it happen multiple times. I know the Cowboys did it with Zeke. Uh, I don't see them raising a the Super Bowl trophy yet. So that remains to be seen on the defensive you side. Of the ball, linebackers, another position where you probably shouldn't invest a ton of money in, unless you have like a, a once in a lifetime Bobby Wagner or somebody like that. And I think for me, and some people will argue this defensive tackles, unless you have an Aaron Donald or a Fletcher Cox or somebody like that, I'm not going to sit there and give somebody $125 million. I just get more pass on the eye to be able to get to the quarterback because D tackles their main job, obviously all four of them. If you play a four, three scheme, like the Eagles do, your objective is to get to the quarterback, but you're more athletic and your, your strengths on the outside. That's where I invest the money in. If I have a good pass rusher, whereas I could draft a couple of young big guys inside um, to do some dirty work as far as the D tackle positions go. And so kind of have almost the same result. You're never going to have the same result if you have Aaron Donald versus not having Aaron Donald. He's a, he's a generational talent. Correct. But if you can get productive guys, maybe draft somebody like Vita Vea of seven, six or seven round pick. He came out of Washington a few years back. Very productive season. I know he was banged up with an ankle injury, but he comes back and has a productive year. And, and, and he's just a name that that personally I recognize because I remember hearing his name in the draft. It's like, oh, Vita Vea. He got, they got him in the sixth round. Like mm-hmm. He's a good player. He, he's going to produce. Um, so that's, that's where kind of my frustration lies. So you look at all Offensive line, quarterback, pass rusher, uh, and corner. Corner definitely is a position that you want to pay. Definitely. Like I, I, I don't know. Like maybe it's just, it's just me. Uh, I mean, Tanner, do you think that the the cornerback position should probably be more valued than the safety position? And do you also agree that the the tackles probably shouldn't be paid unless you have a generational talent that big kind of money, because the only the point I want to make here specifically Javon Hargrave and Malik Jackson are two terrible contracts, two D tackles that haven't panned out for us. And there's, those guys are probably big reasons why we're in cap hell right now. So for me, I think the reason that this Derek Barnett situation is so 
is the way it is because teams expect a defensive end to be on this team for a while. They they expect them to be productive. You got the JJ Watts and Calias Campbells and even Brandon Grams. You got that to compare to. And I think more so than any position, you expect these guys for for the entirety mostly of their career to be productive um, over there. I mean, it, it might be because this league is spoiled with guys who have been in the league a while and keep producing at a high level like Aaron Donald. Um, for me, I, I think that the strong safety might be more so uh, of a concern for a team because that's a guy who, for the most part, is on his own island um, back there, and he, he's the last resort at most points, but cornerbacks, they have to keep up with those wide receivers. But I think strong safety would be, would be more important in that aspect, Max, but going back to Derek Barnett, this is, this was his prove it year last season. Um, and still the Eagles aren't sure what to do. And that's not a good situation when it be in, but right now, I think that the Eagles could get a good amount uh, of return for a guy like Derek Barnett, still a rather young guy, but just again, you got you compare it with the guys that are in his position and you go to the running back position, one of the most underappreciated positions money wise, because you have guys who are great their first three years and then the team franchise tags them. And by the time they're done franchise tagging them, this guy's like 26 years old, his best years are, or maybe 27, his best years are behind him and he goes to another team and doesn't produce as much as he can. The NFL is tricky with contracts. But I think this Derek Barnett situation is going to end with the Eagles giving him money because they're not sure that they want to get rid of him, but they're also not sure how he's going to produce on this team. So I think, I think that's what's going to happen with the Derek Barnett situation. And yeah, that's, that's what I think. The pass rusher too. That's the thing. The key position there is the pass rusher. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Eagles probably will end up paying him. Because one, they are unsure, like Tanner mentioned, they're unsure if he's going to, you know, finally break out in his fifth year of being in the league or uh, or not. So, the, 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 do they want to take that risk? I guess is the main question. But but on that note, guys, I want to transition here and I want to bring up bring up the Sixers. Of course, three straight wins coming out of the All Star break. They're playing good basketball. Of course, like usual, they've been playing well all season long. Um, specifically, we mentioned, of course, the Joel Embiid injury and touch on the fact that we thought we might lose him, especially when the injury first happened for a long period of time. Luckily, it's only a hyperextension. So just take me back to that night, guys, and your reaction to hearing and looking at Embiid going down in a heap and uh, limping off to the locker room. I'm, I'm watching the game. <laughs> I'm watching the game at work, and um, I, my heart sunk. Like, you can hear a pen drop. <laughs> in the studio I kid you not Like I was Man I clenched that in my heart I was like no No And then they kept showing the replay And how that knee went a certain direction I was like no No God No God, No Please no No Not like this No We're not doing this No Then I heard Then I kept hearing Hyperextended knee I was like okay Okay hyperextended knee I can I can live with a hyperextended knee Oh gosh I was scared that night I was so scared And for the people that's out there You know they were like Oh you know why is he still playing Playing and they were up so high Listen things happen alright You never know You never know what's going to happen On any given play Alright so that Just remove that from the equation Let's just be grateful That our, our star That our all star And I'm calling it right now Our future 2020 MVP Joel Embiid Joel Hans Embiid 
didn't get hurt. Just count your blessings. Well, yeah, T, I mean, it really depends on how long he's going to be out for that MVP race um, because bruised bones, they're, it's, they, they, they're going to be with him. It's going to be hurting him the entirety of the, the rest of the season. I'm predicting that we've seen it before. Joel Embiid is not good with, with coming back from injury and then just staying in the rest of the season. Now he's going to be over there icing his knee for the probably the rest of the season. It's going to be it's going to be a difference maker for this Eagle or for the Sixers team. And I think of course it hurt the Sixers, but Max, when I first saw it, I, a highlight popped up on my phone. Joel Embiid goes down. I was like, not too surprised because this is the luck that the Sixers have. This is the exact luck the Sixers have. And this is the luck that Philadelphia has, because you go back to that 2017 season, Carson Wentz, ACL, and he's done after an MVP season. So I was like, please don't don't continue with the theme. And then people are saying, oh, this is the exact way Clay Thompson uh, went down and his injury. So that was, of course, unsettling. But just to see it's a, bru- uh, a bruised bone definitely gives me hope for this team. But you got to look at who's the next man up. Um, this is the Eagles. This is what the Eagles say. And now it's going to be what the Sixers say. Who's the next man up? Is it going to be Tobias that needs to take a bigger step or is it going to be Ben Simmons? Yeah. And now listen, it's so far so good, right? I'll be able to play one game against the Spurs since the, uh, the injury in Washington. But when you look at going forward here and possible trades that, you know, nine days away is this trade deadline. We're talking about Daryl Morey working behind the scenes. We'll see what he has up his sleeve, but Look at the play of some of these guys, and I think one of the names we have to mention here is Matisse Thybul. We may have said to ourselves, let's include to, to, uh, Matisse Thybul in some trades if this was week one of the season. But the way this guy has been playing the last two to three weeks with his defensive capabilities, I would not hesitate to call him one of the top ten defensive players in basketball right now in the entire world just based on the fact that his amount of steals, his energy that he brings, and even now – He's starting to knock down shots, which is one of the problems that he had earlier on in his career uh, last season was the fact that he was not able to shoot three uh, that that well. And he's not able to just score it in general. Now you're seeing him uh, put up around nine points per game over the past few nights. Pretty impressive. And for me, it's a guy that I'm holding out of trade talks. If Kyle Lowry is involved and Matisse Thibel on the table, I'm not going to offer that trade, no matter what it is, whether it be Matisse, whether it be Mike Scott and Danny Green and a first-round pick for Kyle Lowry, I'm not doing it. I think Matisse Thibel being, you know, a young piece to the puzzle right now defensively and even coming off the bench, honestly, we've seen him start a few games. This guy is a legit player. I don't want to trade him. I don't know how you guys feel. I don't know if I'm being too high on Matisse Thibel, but this is a guy who we keep in crunch time situations and playoffs. Just remember this before you pull the trigger on a trade. He will be on the floor for us in crunch time in playoff games for his defensive capabilities. Just remember that. You definitely provide a good point about Matisse Thibel. Um, I wouldn't go as far as to say he's a, a huge, reliable piece. Um, and also saying that, you know, you're putting him in the top 10 defenders in the NBA today in the entire world, to be honest with you. <laughs> man, it, that's some high-ass praise, man. I don't, I, I don't know what you had this morning, but I want some of it. Like, I, he's a hell of a defensive player. I'll give you that. I'm, I'm not ready to put him in the top 10 defensive players, though. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'll tell you what. I'll give you till next week. You come back on this show. You give me 10 better defensive players in the <laughs> NBA. We'll touch on that next week, and we'll see if you can come up with 10. Look, 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 look. Because I guarantee you, you won't be able to do it. Is the, kid, is the kid playing well? Hell yeah, he's playing well. He stepped up to the plate, especially considering that we complained about him in the beginning of the season. 
I always knew him to be a defensive player. Um, I always said that he, if he just works on his shot, he works on that three-point, he can be that 3 and D player that the Sixers need. I've always maintained that. I've always said that. And, you know, hopefully with this new stretch coming in and him starting to, you know, find his shot a little bit, hopefully this is, you know, hopefully this is encouraging for him to, you know, keep doing what he's been doing because it's definitely going to be needed, like you said, especially come playoff time. Yeah, for the most part, we were focused on his inside the bubble vlog last season more so than his play. But Max, he's definitely an important piece on this team. And I think the players out of all the players on the bench, you can't you can't trade him because then you have for me, the players being traded and added to trade discussion would be Danny Green, Mike Scott, Furcon, and then you have draft picks as well, because that leaves on the bench Tyrese Maxi. Um, that leaves Shake Milton and you got my, uh, you got Thibel. And then I think that, and then of course you add the addition that the Sixers add in the off season. I think that, or in before the trade deadline. And I think that makes, um, this a very good and strong team, especially on the bench. But for me, I've been seeing Daryl Morey on Twitter, um, posting his confidence in this bench. And that kind of worries me, maybe yeah. thinking that he's not going to do anything. Um, but I mean, I have to stick with what I've been saying the, the entirety of the of the season. And Daryl Morey is going to switch up the bench, but definitely doesn't give me confidence looking at his Twitter account, seeing him post at the Sixers bench and and stuff like that. I would love to see a star brought in here still. I think that gives us an opportunity to be able to compete with the Brooklyn Nets, who again, last night we're in a close one. Julius Randle had a pretty heated moment. Um, I know we probably all saw that. I mean, he he was in the wrong there. I think we can agree. Yeah. Um, but again, overall, when you're competing against a guy like Harden and Kyrie, um, are you guys starting to worry at all? Well, as Sixers fans, we're not worrying. But are you guys starting to worry that, about the fact in general at all as, a, as an NBA fan that Kevin Durant uh, has been out a little bit longer than expected? And there's something else going on there with his hamstring? Um. It- a, a little bit, because of course, you know, that's probably the biggest threat, you know, in the East to the 76ers is the Brooklyn Nets. So, of course, I'm keeping a close eye on them. Um, am I a little concerned? Yeah, because, you know, Durant's had to battle some injuries over the past couple of seasons. So, I'm kind of raising my eyebrow about that. I mean, to be honest with you, Kyrie and James Harden have been doing damage just by themselves. And when you add Durant to the equation, it's just like an, an onslaught. So, I do have my eyebrows raised. I kind of got my eye on the Brooklyn Nets, but, you know, look, in my opinion, the more Durant's out, the better chances for the 76ers to succeed. Looking at it at at an unbiased sort of opinion, I'm concerned with how his injuries have been dealt with in the past. Um, It seems as if we haven't really been able to see him play uh, for the Nets as much, obviously, as he could. Of course, in the beginning of that, when he was traded, he didn't play and all that so i it's definitely concerning for it for injury aspect but going back to the going back to the um the bias part uh, as a sixers fan it definitely looks better for us but then you have the addition of blake griffin to the nets too now of course blake griffin isn't a, a top player anymore he's not what he used to be but I, I think the nets are definitely going to be the, the team that the sixers are going to have to go through to prove themselves yeah. yeah, I think the more I think about this and the more I'm able to actually sit back and look at potential opportunities and trades to make, I think I've heard a lot of people, and I don't know if it's been on this show specifically, but I've heard a lot of people in the general media say, let's go out there and grab Victor Oladipo and P.J. Tucker. And at first I was hesitant, 
because I thought the package would be too much. I know but I've definitely I said think Victor now Oladipo. when you look at the fact, definitely, yeah, I understand. So a couple of weeks ago, we heard Victor Oladipo turn down that contract extension offered. We know for a fact he doesn't want to be in Houston long term. And I was like, okay, like maybe we won't be able to get ripped off too, too bad. And then uh, about a week ago, maybe at this point, we hear PJ Tucker sitting out purposely because of the fact that he won't, he wants to, he's demanding a trade. He's, he's angry at the Houston front office. He's wondering why he's still on this team. Um, you, you know, the Houston Rockets aren't playing well this year. He wants to be on a contender. So now I'm starting to think if you have a guy like PJ Tucker, you get a forward, you add him to the bench, veteran guy, be able to shoot the three ball and defend at a pretty high level. That is PJ Tucker. You have him and Matisse Thibel coming off the bench. And then if you can get all depot as well, this is kind of where my mind goes. You have Tobias Harris at the four and beat the five Sims at the point guard. And then you don't have to worry about the problem with Danny green and Seth Curry. If you can figure out a way to get rid of picks, maybe Furkan, Maxi, whatever you got to do, basically hear me out on this. It's going to be tough. Um, and again, if Danny green or Seth Curry has to go into trade, it's a possibility as well. But if you can get Victor Oladipo on that lineup, um, move Seth Curry to the bench and somehow keep maybe keep Danny Green. I don't know. It's going to be a stretch if you're going to have if you're going to be able to keep him. You might have to get rid of him in the trade, which is kind of where my plan goes awry a little bit. But if you're able to keep Danny Green at the two guard, that's a pretty dominant starting five. If you just keep Danny Green space at the floor uh, as a shooter, you have Ben Simmons obviously as the playmaker, and then you have capable shooters in Harris and Oladipo as a playmaker as well, be able to create his own shot. Obviously, the MVP inside. But then I think this is to Tanner's point with the bench because that's where he wants to look to. You have Curry, a sharpshooter, coming off the bench as a six-man. You have Matisse Thibel, one of the top defenders in the league, in my opinion, coming off the bench right there. You have one, one way, a, a one-way player, one of the best defensive players, and one of the best shooters. And then you have add that on top. Yeah, okay, you're looking at Matisse Thibel as a, maybe a forward, undersized forward, a guard. And then Curry's a guard. You need some bigger guys. Well, look at no other than P.J. Tucker. You know, you have P.J. Tucker along with Dwight Howard inside as, you know, the bigger defenders and, and the forward spots. Also, the fact that P.J. Tucker is a capable three-point shooter also helps. I feel like that's a team that can definitely compete with the Brooklyn Nets if uh, that, that came to it. But again, it's going to be tough to keep some of those names. Danny Green might be the guy that I'm kind of worried about. We might have to include him in the deal, which then takes Curry and brings him back into the starting lineup. And then my plan's a little messed up. But uh, maybe we'll be able to keep keep Maz, be able to have him as a sharpshooter come off the bench if he can pick up uh, you know, where, he, where he's kind of been left off at least post pre-All-Star break. We've seen flashes, but again, you guys know I'm not the big biggest Cork Moz guy. Man, this is the first time in a long time I think me and Max has actually agreed with each other 110. percent Like this is a <laughs> this is incredible. Like usually we're going at each other's throats, but yeah, this is yeah I completely agree with you. I've I've been advocating for Oladipo on the FM airwaves on these airwaves. I've I've advocated for Oladipo. I've banged the table for Oladipo. Like get Oladipo. Like he's probably the one of the. I'm not going to say he's going to be easy to get and acquire, but he's probably the the one that makes the most sense. And then when you add PJ Tucker, like you said to that fold, it kind of makes things a little bit easier. So please, Daryl Morey, please do not be satisfied with the current bench. All right. It, it's, it still needs to be built upon. All right. They're, they're just having a nice little stretch. We know what this bench is. We all know what this bench is period. Like we don't need, don't be satisfied, please. Please don't be satisfied. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I think if Oladipo is on the table, Max, I think that opens up for any situation. I'm not so more protecting people on the bench because if you have Oladipo, there's a starting, there's the, a stronger starting five 
Now, of course, there goes Danny Green in that situation. And I don't, I personally wouldn't care about that. Um, but if you have a stronger starting five, you don't have to more so rely on the bench, but we we would still have a decent bench to to go on to because if this starting five produces as they should, they should be able to rest earlier in that fourth quarter and put the bench out there. That's that's my thoughts on it. But I definitely in the long run, bench bench will matter, especially if you go to the finals. Those seven games, it's definitely going to matter. Guys, it remains to be seen what this team is going to do as an all-star or as all-star breaks past us as a trade line approaches again nine days away. Of course, we want to see the Sixers make a move. It's just going to depend on how much do we have to give up and what specific names we are going to go after. But guys, that'll wrap it up for this week's edition of the Philly Experience Podcast. Again, if you like what you heard, go to the Philly Experience Podcast on Instagram. Check us out there. A bunch of videos, a bunch of score posts, obviously uh, daily. So check us out there. T, on that, let's shut it down. All right, you just heard the man. You guys have been seeing this episode. Go to philly-experience.simplecast.com. Available on all major downloadable platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Follow us on Instagram at The Philly Experience. Follow us on Twitter at The Philly EXP1. Guys, see you next week. Hopefully with some new Eagles moves. What is going on back there? But they are who we thought they were. We got our ass kicked. In my opinion, that sucked. I want Mason Gore help. I'm not giving Jerry Jones my money. F*** that guy.